Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. Everybody and welcome to Linux and Ham Shack. My name is Richard, KB5JBV, and I am here to present to you the Lord, the Emperor of the Known Universe, Russ, K5TUX with no B. Say hello, Russ. Um, hello. There you go. Yeah. Hello. You know, the sad part is to be a really big fan of Frank Her- Herbert, and we do all this messing around with computers and stuff. It, it really, really leaves me in a quandary. So how's your week been, Russ? My week's been pretty good. A little slow, not a lot going on. Had a lot of housework to do over the weekend, but so far, Monday and Tuesday haven't been, you know, too big a problem for me. We had a little bit of crappy weather, and it's cold outside right now. It's about... 34 degrees Fahrenheit, and I think that's about one degree Celsius for you uh, in every part of the world but the United States. But uh, we're we're still kicking. Uh, yeah, I know. Thanksgiving was kind of rough for me. I ended up having to work Thanksgiving night, and it got kind of cool, kind of cool. In fact, uh, I nearly froze to death. I'm not used to this cool weather like you folks up there in Arkansas and Missouri and I don't think a lot of people consider Arkansas a cold place. Oh, let me tell you. This place is in them woods down on the south end. Middle of the winter, it gets cold as hell. <laughs> and y'all will have to excuse me this time around because, uh, uh, as you all know, I've been going through some, uh, dental surgery and this, that, and other, and I'm not going to go through the whole, uh, whole story of, uh, why things are the way they are, but, just so happens that I'm working at a disadvantage tonight, so I'll be speaking a little slower and all that good stuff. I think we need to do a couple of things that we haven't done in a while. First of all, we need to pimp the band. Let us pimp the band. Uh, Gamma Leonis, uh, opening and closing. We got Gamma Leonis and, uh, y'all go over and check their stuff out. Russ will tell you where they're at because I don't quite recall. Uh, I spend too much time on other places trying to find music for one thing or another. But, uh, Gamma Leonis, yeah, y'all, uh, find them, send them a piece of email and tell them thank you for, uh, keeping us going. We're now in our second. Actually, this is season one, episode 51 of Linux in the Ham Shack. So, uh, you got any contact information for Gamma Leonis? Well, we don't exactly do seasons. This is just episode number 51. You know, we're not like those season folks where they make stuff up and say, 
you know, this is season where they do like two shows a season. So they can say, this is season 17, episode one or whatever. Like, but this is episode number 51 in Gamaleonis, which is Dave Long and, uh, John Worsley and, uh, you know, a few other musicians who jump in from time to time. And they do put out music almost, uh, weekly, I think, uh, a week or every other week. You can probably find new music from, from Gamma Leona. So you should probably check them out. They did write the intro and the outro for Linux in the Ham Shack. It's all original music. So we have a, an intro and an outro that no other podcast has. And you can find info about them at gammaleonis.com, which is actually an alias to a soundclick.com website where they publish all their music. And uh, you can download and, and buy their tracks for, I think, 99 cents a piece. So it's uh, going for a worthy cause. But check out GammaLeonis.com for GammaLeonis. And uh, thanks, as always, for the intro and outro music and uh, for the Linux in the Hamshack promo they did a little while back. Dave was nice enough to uh, put a promo out for us back in March. And it's been aired on several podcasts out on the internet, so we want to thank him for that too. Well, see, that's the deal. You know, we we chug down through here an awful lot of the time. We forget all about those guys, and we really appreciate them. Uh, we appreciated them in episode one. We appreciate them in season one, episode fifty-one. So, <laughs> even though Richard secretly didn't like the intro for about twenty episodes. I never said I didn't like it. Yes, you did. You said I you said hated it. It wasn't my style. But you like it now. Yes. Yes. How was that for a surprise? <laughs> you know what? It didn't phase me one bit. There you go. He didn't miss a lick. All right, moving on, moving on. At the, at the risk of making it sound like a commercial, because we have had some people complain about that, but you know what? We have to pay the bills around here, and we very rarely nag y'all about stuff and everything else, but we're going to do it right now. Russ, tell them about all the wonderful, wonderful LHS merchandise that we have available, because somebody out there, just somebody out there may actually want a piece of it. That's true. We do have Linux in the Hamshack merchandise. We have T-shirts. We have bags. We have clocks. We have mugs. We have all kinds of things. And if you go to www.cafepress.com stroke LHS podcast or to www.printfection.com stroke LHS, you can find all of our great merchandise. And unfortunately, some of the stuff is a little bit expensive, but we really don't have any control over that. They dictate the prices and we get a little bit of commission for each of those price or each of those items that you buy. Uh, usually ranges from about a dollar to two dollars per item. And that money goes into the standard donation fund and goes back into producing the show. So we get a little bit kickback from the stuff you buy, and you get a great thing to wear or to drink out of or to tell the time by or whatever it is that you pick up. And uh, so everybody should go to those sites and check out some of the Linux in the Hamshack merchandise. And with Christmas coming up, you can give a little gift to yourself or to your loved ones. You know, give the gift of Linux in the Hamshack. We don't want to pimp it too much, although I do want to say, You've brought up in the past a few times about donations for Linux in the Hamshack and that 
uh, Linux podcasts don't generally ask for donations. You, you've said that in the past, right? Uh-huh. Okay, well, what I have to say for all of those people is Linux Outlaws. They are a Linux podcast, and they ask for donations, and they get them. And we, as uh, as a sort of quasi-Linux, quasi-ham radio podcast, we solicit donations only because we want to continue to bring you Linux in the ham shack. And, you know, it's not uh, it's not a totally free proposition. So we appreciate all the donations we get, and we're, we're going to get to the donations we have received at, at the end of the show. But uh, we do appreciate that. And if you want to donate by buying yourself uh, some Linux in the Ham Shack merchandise, feel free to go ahead and do it that way as well. We appreciate anything we get, even if it's just a dollar. If uh, mm-hmm. something about the show has, has helped you out over the couple of years that we've done it, a dollar or two donation is uh, much appreciated. He's getting really good at that. Let me give out some information by way of explanation for why we ask for donations. The toll-free number that we have on the website, the 866-455-0305 that we give out where people can dial in toll-free and and uh, provide voice feedback for us, which only gets used maybe once every other month or so, you know, for one call that we might put on the show. That alone costs $20 a month. So you can kind of understand, you know, that this is not a free show and that it's not free to put on. Now, that that might actually be going away because toll-free numbers are pretty useless these days, and I don't want to make people feel bad for not sponsoring a toll-free number that no one uses. But I'm just saying, things aren't free, and we do appreciate every donation that we get. And there you have it. So, uh, send us a dollar or, uh, go over there and get one of them really nice shirts or hats or something like that. That way you get something. We get a little bit of it. We don't do Amazon over here, but what the heck. And, uh, that's pretty much it. And we have done beat the, it's starting to sound like national public radio here. Linux in the ham shack on national public radio. Now that wouldn't that be something? <laughs> Boy, we'd be, be we'd be having those, those guys issuing out them federal dollars pulling their hair out. All righty, and now that was enough of that. Let's move on to the let's move on to the first thing. Try and actually get some content going on. And uh, uh, Mister Picky is is throwing numbers at me, but that's okay. Um, Russ and I both received a Google alert. Report one of the few times that we both got the same Google alert, same time, same place, same everything. At least I hope so, because I'm sitting here looking at the K3NG report. The K3NG report. Uh, and the particular article I'm looking at is Linux in the Shack Advocacy. Hmm. He forgot a quote. Before I get too far into this, I'm going to let Russ kick it off so that he may set the tone for this conversation. Ooh, that that could be bad. Well, anyway, it seems like we have been targeted, maybe, recently, with articles at AmateurRadio.com, which are trying to get our hackles up as far as Linux in the ham shack, which is, of course, what our show is primarily about and uh, the latest person to say something in blog form over at amateurradio.com which is getting our hackles up is k3ng and he posted an article on uh, november 26th 
called Linux in the Shack Advocacy, in which he basically denounces all those who would advocate Linux in the ham shack, saying that Windows in the ham shack is the way to go and that uh, he has found no reason to use Linux software for amateur radio and, uh, in fact, says that Linux software for amateur radio is both uh, inferior and uh, harder to find than Windows software. So that's the basic tenor of his, his article. Uh, over at AmateurRadio.com. Well, it was listed at AmateurRadio.com, but I guess the original article is at K3NG.WordPress.com, and a link to that article will, of course, be in the show notes. So because he is uh, pushing our typical hot-button issue, as seems to be the case the last few weeks, well, we are going to talk about K3NG's article. Uh, and, uh, since I kicked it off, uh, I'm going to let Richard, uh, say the first few words about this. Well, actually, I just wanted to start out by saying K3NG, mm-hmm. Let me tell you, every time I get one of these, uh, one of these things and I go look at it, the very first thing I do is scroll down to the bottom of the bottom of the blog. Apparently I got the, uh, original here because I'm looking at K3NG.wordpress.com. And down at the very bottom of the page, when I scroll down there and it, the, the, what I see down at the very bottom is that, uh, it's hosted at wordpress.com and it's using a, a stock template for their blog. Uh, that screams appliance operator to me. Now, as far as reading further, reading down in through this article, turns out this guy is a contester. Contesters, for the most part, appliance operators. The guys that have the time and energy to get into contesting, most of the time, they're not the guys that we're talking to. They're not the guys we're talking to on this show. They're not the guys I'm talking to on the other show because they're the guys that can go out and afford $1,500 radio and a, a five, six, $700 antenna or a rotor that can, uh, cost about the same amount of money. And they, they can also afford to go out and buy a machine which has the horsepower to run windows without too many problems now in the first paragraph of this thing he's, he goes to comparing windows and linux to that uh, old folders commercial where they'd go in and they'd cook folders uh or cook cook up some coffee and then they'd use some folders crystals instant coffee and take it out to the people in the restaurant and have them taste it and they couldn't tell the difference well, if that's the case, Windows is the folders crystals. Because once again, this guy's going way off to the side. He's talking about using that huge, huge program that we have been talking about that, uh, quite frankly, you have to, if you're going to run it under Windows, uh, I'm sure you probably have to have a lot of horsepower. And that's probably the truth. But he goes down through here and he compares CQR log and FLDG and this other stuff to HRD, DX Lab, and N1MM, which is a logging program for those of y'all that don't know. Now, let me tell you. Well, let's, let's back up. I run my head a minute. We're in the first article, Russ. What, what have you got to offer? <laughs> well, the first paragraph. Okay. Well, you already talked about the Folgers crystals type thing. So I'll, let me go to the second paragraph. Uh, he says, for years, Linux advocates have been promoting the use of Linux in the ham shack. 
often bragging how their shacks are 100% Windows-free. As I have mentioned in past blog articles, I've attempted several times over the past eight years or more to migrate totally to Linux in the shack and have been unsuccessful each time. I'm no dummy when it comes to Linux. I've used it since 1995 when nearly all tasks were done in the Bash shell and X-Windows was a cumbersome novelty that was difficult to configure and was scorned by many. Being able to copy and paste something from one app to another or configure something by right-clicking was a luxury light years away. So we can kind of see where he's coming from, but, uh, you know, here's the thing about software when it comes to Windows versus Linux. It's it's really up to the developers, and just because uh, the developers are coming out with software for Linux that does what this particular operator uh, enjoys, which seems to be contesting. He, he seems to be more of a uh, hardcore contester than the average ham radio um, user. I would possibly concur that the software for Windows may be more uh, efficacious for what he does than that for Linux, but he's comparing software to things like HRD, DX Lab, and N1MM. Now, I have tested N1MM software and HRD under Linux, and they both work. So you could use both of those applications under Linux if you wanted to. Now, DX Lab, on the other hand, does not work under Linux. And, in fact, if you go to the DX Lab website and click on the FAQ that they have regarding Linux compatibility, it says explicitly that DX Lab will not run under Linux. Now, I have tried to get it to run under Linux, despite their warning that it won't. And I think what I had to do was install their software and install or attempt to install the Windows version of Mono uh, under Linux, because I believe DX Lab is written in .NET. In no way, using uh, Linux Mono or using Windows Mono under Wine, could I get DX Lab to work under Linux? Now, I consider that a problem with DX Lab, not a problem with Linux. It's simply a matter of the fact that the developer has no interest in developing the DX Lab software for Linux. And is that a problem with Linux? No. It's a problem with the fact that the DX Lab developers only feel like developing for Windows. I don't necessarily fault K3NG for being a fan of HRD and DX Lab software that's been written for Windows and doesn't work under Linux, but that doesn't make Linux inferior. Like I said, you can run N1MM software and you can run HRD under Linux. There are options for him to run the software that he likes under Linux, and there are also alternatives to the ham radio software he runs, things like FL Digi and CQR Log, um, which run natively in Linux and which do the things he wants. He likes the Windows software, he uses it, and is that necessarily a problem? No, it's not, but I don't think he should completely dismiss Linux in the ham shack just because he doesn't prefer to use it. And down in the comments section, AD7MI, who has gone completely Linux in the ham shack, 
uh, like we discussed in episode 50, is able to do everything he wants to do as a ham radio operator under Linux, where K3NG prefers to use Windows software. And uh, I don't think either one of them is more right than the other. And uh, I think if you want to accomplish something as a ham radio operator under Linux, you have just as many options as you do in, under Windows. K3NG obviously just hasn't explored as many of the possibilities as some of the other Linux ham radio operators have. Well, actually, my take, my take on this particular paragraph is, yes, okay, we, we do push that uh, use what's best for the job. But we also have to take into consideration that the, the DXers and the contesters represent the top, a small percentage at the top of the amateur radio food chain where the guys have the money, they're dedicated, uh, everything else, and their view sometimes tends to be like the ARRL's view used to be back when uh, they would put a simple project in QST, but when uh, they listed out all the uh, equipment that you had to have to t- do this simple project, which they had in the labs up there at the ARRL, a lot of times most amateur radio operators didn't have it. We're here for middle-of-the-road amateur radio operators, the guys that don't have a lot of money to spend on their hobby. They got wives, they got kids, they got responsibilities, and, you know, from that perspective, uh, Windows is hard to deal with, and we'll get into that in a minute. Um, the programmers, some programmers want to do it, and the fact that they're giving it away for free doesn't mean that Microsoft is not making money off of it because, Russ, you were talking a while ago about, uh, I guess, that login program being written. No, DX Lab being written in uh, uh, .NET. Well, you know what? The only place you can buy uh, the stuff to program in .NET is for Microsoft. And uh, if I remember correctly, you have to purchase that. So, yeah, you got these big, bloated, overgrown uh, programs running on a big, bloated, overgrown operating system. And, sure, if you got the money to buy a high-horsepower machine, it's going to run great for you. But, you know, the guys we're talking to, we're trying to move them over to something that's simpler, less expensive, and easier to maintain. They don't have to worry about uh, going to see what time a movie starts over at the local theater and then having a hard drive crash because they got some kind of virus. So let us move on. What else you got? Uh, let's see. Next one. Uh, next paragraph is digital aficionados. Oh, am I doing that? Yeah, I was having an attack. <laughs> <laughs> the as attack. And basically what it boils down to, digital aficionados, he says digital aficionados are in luck. However, FLDG is a wonderful multi-protocol digital modem program that is as good as or better than Windows digital programs. Unfortunately, the arcaneness of the Linux sound system can cause much headache and sorrow, but the program itself is superb. Is this the one where he's talking about CQR log or FLDigi? I guess this is where he's talking about FLDigi, right? Yeah, it's FLDigi. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I hate to agree with this article on any point, but I'm going to have to agree with it about the Linux sound system. 
I've said on many occasions, and I'll say it again, that the Linux sound system is horrible and needs some some major overhauling before it becomes mainstream. But even though the Linux sound system is horrible, things like FL Digi and other ham radio applications that access the 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 Linux sound system any of those applications that are useful for CW and other digital modes make the best of what they're given. And FL Digi is a great program and does a lot of the things that Ham Radio Deluxe and DX Lab and similar programs that access digital mode communications for ham radios also do. You know, like I said, while I hate to agree with him about any particular point, I'm going to have to agree with him about that. And I will also agree with him that FL Digi is a great program. Well, you know, I understand. And, yes, there's been some issues with the sound system in Linux. And just when things were getting really good, they decided to switch things up and start using something else. And there were some issues with it. But you know what? There might be a little bit of a bug in the sound, but that takes us back to that other operating system. See, people make the mistake that uh, all people who promote the use of Linux have never used Windows. Just like we know that most of the people that trash Linux have never used anything but Windows. And I used Windows for years and years and years and a little minor sound card problem, which is all I've really run into in the last year or two compared to all the problems I've had with Windows over the years. I can get past that. I can overlook that. Where FL Digi is concerned, there is a Windows version of FL Digi also. And they both run superbly. I used a lot of digital uh, programs under Windows. And FL Digi is simple and it works. And that's the, that's the two most important things to me. In fact, it hadn't been, uh, wasn't last field day, but the field day before I showed up on a site where a guy was actually sitting in the trailer running FL Digi on a Windows laptop. And he was running it because he was going to make modifications to the code and submit them back to FL Digi. Now, this is something, you know, we're talking about that Windows software. This is something that you're probably not going to see happen a lot with that Windows software because when that Windows software comes out, you can't change or fix the code because it's locked down. You can't look at it unless you can figure out how to decompile it and take a look at it and all this other stuff. And then when you do that, depending on what license they released it under, you might get yourself in trouble. But apparently we are all agreed that FL Digi is a top-notch program. And any issues it might have has to do with operating system. Maybe we need to check into what kind of problems FL Digi has under Windows, Russ. You think we might ought to do that? Well, we might want to do that, but I'd be willing to bet that FL Digi doesn't really have any problems under Windows. You know, I, I guess I'm talking out of school because I haven't tested it, but I'm pretty sure FL Digi is, is pretty solid. If he went through the trouble of coding it for Windows or, or cross-compiling it for Windows, I'm, I'm betting it works fantastic. Well, yeah, and that's the deal. Uh, this guy that was running it out there at that field day, he was, uh, he was looking to make modifications that would suit his style of digital work uh, better, which since FL Digi is a generalized digital program, if somebody wanted something to work specifically a certain way on, on a certain mode, I can see why they might want to go in and try and modify it a little bit. But that's the beauty of open source software. 
you can't get that with Windows. Well, Bill, Bill in the chat room says, I've had many more problems with FL Digis under Windows than I have under Linux. But the thing about that is when an application is written for a specific platform and then you port it to a different platform, you're more likely to get problems with that other platform than the one it was written for. So, you know, by that same token, things like HRD, which were written for Windows, are probably going to have more problems if you try and run them under Linux. So let's move, let's kind of move on to the next paragraph because we're running long on this one. Uh, go ahead and take it away so I can get ramped up while you're reading. Okay. Well, this is sort of the last thing I want to talk about on this article, but here's a quote where he says, quite simply, if one intends on using Linux exclusively in the ham shack, they have to lower their expert, uh, lower their expectations and requirements for logging and are between a rock and a hard place when it comes to contesting. And I think that's sort of the crux of this argument that K3NG is making, and that's that he's a contester. He likes software that works better for him in a contesting scenario, and the Linux software that he's found is not really designed for contesting. That doesn't mean it's not great for the average ham radio operator, but it's not necessarily as good for contesting. That's sort of where I stand on it, and, and I guess now that you've got your hackles up, you can finish that off. No, he passed up all the good stuff. He he, he was trying to cut the badger out of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, as far as contesting is con- concerned, once again, that's the beauty of open source software. That's the beauty of Linux. Is uh, All he has to do, instead of being an appliance operator, is take the time to read a little bit then download the programs that he would need, uh, i.e. Python or the C++ compiler or the C compiler or whatever out of the uh, software repositories and build himself a login program or take one that exists and add the features to it that he would like to have. This is something that he can do. It's not gonna, it's not like over on the other operating system where he would have to go, uh, purchase that stuff and then possibly purchase, well, let's put it this way. All the documentation for Python is available online. And at this point in time, there's probably stuff that can't be written in Python. It has to be written in something else. But I have found that an awful lot of stuff that I use is written in Python. So, uh, you know, he can change that if he likes. I was kind of interested in this next to last paragraph because it, it brings up the same old stuff. People, people discuss instability of Windows. Yes, Windows is unstable. If one believed all the rants about bad, win- how bad Windows is, one would think the Windows box with uptime of several hours is a rare thing. Uh, I've seen it that way are plagued with thousands of viruses. Well, why are you disputing that? And anything beyond solitaire is an exercise in torture. I've never said that. Patching and updating is an endless treadmill requiring hours of attention each week. Uh, it can be, especially after they put out a brand new version. Uh, I call your attention to uh, Windows 3, Windows 95, not second edition, the original Windows 95, Windows ME, Windows XP when it first came out, and Windows Vista. 
we have yet to see what's going to go on with this, uh, with uh, uh, whatever the new one is, Windows 7, which is actually Windows 9. He finishes up saying, I'm not sure where this view comes from. It could be from using Windows, but desktop Windows has been quite stable since since XP. Uh-huh. And reasonably maintained Windows servers can be expected to run for years. Let me say that again. Reasonably maintained Windows servers can be expected to run for years with few problems. Russ, do y'all run any Windows servers where y'all work? I do run uh, a couple of them, yes, unfortunately. Is that true? I have never had one last more than about two months without having to reboot it for some reason or another. And there you go. Like I tell people, I had a Debian server that ran for six months or more without having, in fact, I forgot it was on because it just worked the way it was supposed to. Everybody forgets these things. That's how, that's how Windows keeps things going because people forget. They don't remember the hardware night, nightmare when XP first came out. Even if you had the right hardware and plugged it in, it wouldn't work right. It took forever. It took service pack almost, well, that's why there was a service pack so quick after it came out is because nothing would work right. And especially for amateur radio operators, anything you had that was running on serial ports that you had to switch over to a serial to USB adapter wouldn't work. ME was a total disaster. Uh, Windows 3, <laughs> it was so bad that people don't remember Windows 3. All they remember is 3.11. They don't even remember 3.1. And Windows 95 had issues too. I can't think of a lot of them off the top of my head, but that's why anytime you see uh, a copy of Windows 95 out for sale somewhere, which is not as common as it used to be, but you can still find them, it's Windows 95 second edition that everybody uh, gets their hands on because you don't want first edition because it don't work worth a hoop. Now, you will never convince me that Windows is more stable, that uh, it is easier to work with, is that, oh, and even the patches, you know what? I can get a patch in 24 hours if, if somebody finds out there's a bug in something in Linux. Within 24 hours, a lot of times, there's a patch for it come through on update. Windows, it might take months. Oh, we got big gaping security hole, and it's going to rip your hard drive to shred, but y'all just hang in there. You'll have a have something to take care of it in about a week or two. That doesn't make any sense at all. Once again, yes. And the whole point, the whole bottom line on this is, if you're a contester, be an appliance operator and use Windows. Or be proactive, learn a little bit of programming language, and make something that works for you in Linux. Because you're allowed to do that. And as an amateur radio operator, it would seem to be the goal. That's what we excel at, at as amateur radio operators, taking stuff and making it work for our purposes. Now I've ranted and I've even gotten a little mean, got, got my, my badgers all out of whack and Russ has got real quiet. So like maybe I scared him or something. No, I just have a feeling that operators like K3NG are probably just going to ignore this whole argument and, and go off on their little windows way, but that's fine. 
I don't necessarily want to disparage Windows users or keep them from using the applications they use and being ham radio operators. That's their prerogative, just like it's ours to to advocate Linux in the ham shack, and that's what we will con- continue to do. Well, there you go. And, you know, last thing on the stability thing, because that's the one that really sticks in my craw, i got a machine over here that's got Windows XP Pro on it. Windows XP Pro, because them screwballs over at WinLink let me get halfway into my investment before they said, uh, well, we don't have room for another station. And um, it's been on there probably three years, four years. All it's really been doing is running iTunes, and it's barely usable. Even when I first booted, it's barely usable. I take it back. It's not just doing iTunes. It runs Skype on these calls. But it's just barely usable. I click. I sit down. I wait. And I read a book. And sooner or later, it'll do what I, I was trying to do. And then I go over and I click. Then I go out and do some gardening. And then I come back. And it's finally ready to do what I needed to do. So the whole stability, well, running, it's crap. Be an appliance operator or make a change. And there you have it. Oh, wait a minute. Somebody else said something about, uh, <laughs> I didn't even see that. That rant was off the top of my head. I didn't see somebody made the same, same case over, uh, Millennium, uh, 98, Vista. Down in the comments. Anyway, I think we probably beat this one to death. We probably need to let everybody get up and go to the restroom. Uh, what do you think, Russ? Yeah, that sounds pretty good. I, I think we got our point out. The link will be in the show notes if anyone wants to read this article. There are already several comments on the post uh, over at k3ng.wordpress.com, and feel free to put your own answer in for k3ng's uh disposition on uh, windows in the ham shack versus linux in the ham shack but uh we probably need to get out of here for a little bit of music and then we'll come back on the other side and we'll talk about some other stuff well there y'all go yeah y'all go ahead and uh head down home and take care of business uh i'm gonna see if i can make the folks in the chat room mad now we'll be right back
Okay. Here we go again. We're back. Everybody's refreshed, re- rejuvenated. Uh, Russ is refueled. I got a fresh glass of tea. Uh, my dog's mad at me because I wouldn't pick him up while ago. And, and life is just fantabulous. Fantabulous. Uh, what we got for the second segment? Let's see. Oh, we're going to talk about some whisper and some echo link and some, uh, if we have time, we'll get to some desktop forwarding. So, uh, what do you got, Russ? Let's hear about your Whisper Echolink experience. Now, we have talked about Whisper and we have talked about Echolink in the past, and I have sort of been a hanger-on in the discussion because I had tried neither Whisper nor Echolink because I didn't have a working sound card and rig interface. Now, however, I do have a working sound card and rig interface. I have two of them, in fact. I have a Rascal GLX, which I have hooked up to a VHF-UHF dual bander, which I'm currently using for Echolink. And I also have a Rig Blaster Plus, which I have hooked up to my HF rig, which I'm using periodically for Whisper and periodically for PSK and CW using FL Digi. Uh, this is a, a pretty standard Linux hamshack type setup that I have. And uh, one thing I wanted to note in particular was that Whisper is a little bit weird when it comes to its implementation under Linux. We've kind of talked about this a little bit, but one thing I found was that if you take the Deb package, if you have a Debian-based distribution like Debian or Mint or Ubuntu or, you know, one of those, and you take the latest version of of the Whisper packages, and instead of using dpackage-i to install the package, which uh, would be considered the standard, you know, install procedure, I guess, but if you instead use dpackage-x on the package, what that will do is it will simply extract the Whisper information and applications to the current directory. And if you happen to extract Whisper to your current directory and run it that way instead of in the root, which is where dpackage-i will install it, it seems to work a whole lot better. Now, I've still had a problem trying to get it to work with the GNOME-based launchers, like if you go into the menu or if you go into one of your taskbars and try and set it up so that if you can click on an icon and get Whisper to launch, that doesn't really work that well. But if you go into your terminal in your current home directory where you have extracted Whisper and type dot slash WSPR to get it to run, it seems to work quite well that way and it avoids installing Whisper in the root, the slash directory. And uh, I've found that uh, I enjoy it more, and I've got it to work better if I do it that way. So you might want to try the dpackage-x option for that. So uh, anything to add to that before I move on? Well, no. Actually, I'm going to have to go back and give that a shot when I get the time. Uh, like I said, when I was running it for testing purposes, I was running the Windows version under Wine. Uh, it had less challenges 
as running it the other way, and I was just trying to get a feel for it so we could do a show on it. So I will have to go back and check that out. But, uh, yeah, I would prefer to run it that way. That, that means a little bit less overhead on that machine. But uh sounds like you got it uh, taken care of. So tell us about Echolink. Well, it works for me, and I just want to let people know that that's an option um, because running it under Wine didn't actually work that well for me. Uh, you said it worked pretty well for you, but I couldn't get it to work at all for me. So the dpackage-x version worked for me, and that got it to run Whisper natively uh, in Linux, which I think is the better way to go anyway. Now, as far as Echolink is concerned, uh, that I did, in fact, run using Wine. I am running the Echolink software using Wine. And the thing about the Wine I'm using is I used a special version, which is 1.13. And the reason I'm using Wine 1.13 is because it has native support for pulse audio. Wine versions before 1.13 use an ALSA audio patch to try and connect to the Pulse Audio server, which may or may not work depending on your configuration. But Wine 1.13 has native support for Pulse Audio, so that when you bring up your Echolink application under Wine in Linux using 1.13, you will see an option for Pulse Audio in your options for audio. And that makes configuring Echolink under Wine uh, much easier. You don't have to guess at which audio you need to select or anything like that. You just pick Pulse for your receive and transmit, and then you make sure that your Linux machine is set to the default sound card that you want to use for your uh, Echolink communication in Pulse, and it will work just fine. And that, of course, is working just fine for me. I have uh, a radio uh, locally set up on 146.225 Simplex connected to my Echolink node. I purchased a five-digit Echolink node, which is 54711. And I'm connected, you know, I'm connected pretty much all the time to Echolink via Ubuntu using Wine and uh, that server. We've talked also in a previous episode about IRLP, which is the Internet Radio Linking Project. And the thing about IRLP is it requires some specific hardware that you must have in order to link your computer to a radio device which provides access to the IRLP network. Now, Echolink, on the other hand, doesn't necessarily require that. You can run Echolink uh, via an iPhone or an iPad or an Android device or simply a computer or any other device that will connect to um, Echolink available nodes, whether those nodes are... Um, radio-connected or Internet-connected. Early on, there was some discussion about um, Echolink not being true ham radio communication um, because it's sort of an Internet-based technology, and I didn't really have an opinion one way or another about that because I didn't know enough about it. But now that I've played with Echolink, 
and I've um, investigated D-Star a little bit, and I've also investigated IRLP a little bit, um, I do have a sort of problem personally with Echolink. Other than the fact that Echolink software requires you to identify using various methods that you are, in fact, an amateur radio operator, there is no condition which says that Echolink has to be involved with ham radio in any way. Just because you connect to an Echolink node doesn't mean that there is a radio involved in that communication at all. It could be entirely Internet-based. Um, you could be talking from one computer to an iPad user or one computer to another computer user, and there may be no amateur radio involved in that communication in any way. In that way, I'm kind of wondering if Echolink may be cheating in a way. You don't necessarily have to be an amateur radio operator other than the fact that you're asked if you happen to be one in order to use Echolink software, whereas, in fact, IRLP nodes and DSTAR nodes are, in fact, connected to a piece of hardware, whether it happens to be a DSTAR digital dongle or a DSTAR ICOM radio that is, in fact, a piece of amateur radio hardware. And in that way, I can see why Echolink may be considered by some to be problematic for the amateur radio community. So uh, I just wanted to bring that up since I have had some experience now with Echolink and IRLP and D-Star, uh, and maybe throw that over to Richard and see what he has to say about it. Well, you're kind of right, and that's where the argument comes from. A lot of the uh, older hams don't uh, look at it that way, but the argument pretty much comes in when you're doing computer-to-computer communications Without a radio link anywhere in between, uh, you know, it was like when I got back on, on the air, I took a hiatus for a couple of years. And when I got back on the air, I echo link was around and there were guys talking about, I worked Canada. I worked Russia. I worked Germany. And I said, how'd you work them? They said by echo link. And I got to checking into echo link and these guys, they didn't have to have a, a radio of any kind to work these guys, so they didn't actually work them other than working them on voice over IP, which Echolink, uh, that leg of it is pretty much, as best I can tell, standard voice, or, voice over IP. Uh, I know some guys that run the RLP nodes, uh, several repeater owners here locally. Uh, one of them is ex-section manager. Uh, a couple of others have been influential on the on the section level. And, uh, it was my understanding at one point, and it may have changed some. I haven't checked it for a while that, uh, Echolink, any ham can be involved with. RLP was exclusively for linking repeaters and radios. And that may or may not have changed. As far as the use of it, uh, I've kind of changed my opinion a little bit on Echolink as far as the computer to computer communications because as a place to start out to get over your initial mic fright, it is turning out to be a reasonable tool. Will it ever be accepted as an amateur radio mode? I doubt it. Uh, the same way I myself have a problem with uh, Winlink, because if you put a message on Winlink at your house, it normally goes to a server on the Internet and will go to an email address 
from that server and be sent to somebody's computer and never go on there. And I can't, one of the problems I've had with this question is I keep asking the guy that runs NTS for the ARRL, uh, if this qualified as actual, uh, NTS messaging and have never gotten a response. What does remain to be seen is D-Star because, uh, direct dongle to dongle communication can be achieved over the internet without ever going through a radio. The dongles, Hold, well, they're basically a modem with a vocoder chip in them to convert the uh, audio to the digital format that D-Star uses. You can go from dongle to dongle, from dongle to reflector, dongle to reflector, then back out to another dongle. None of this stuff ever goes on the air, but uh, it still remains to be seen what the status is going to be on that. You know, in the case of, uh, what do they call them? There's a new adapter you can plug into your computer, which is like a mini repeater. Uh, you can be in one end of the house on your handheld, talk into the, uh, handheld, communicate to the other end of the house to a, a different type dongle that's plugged into your computer, which is, will pick up the radio signal. Then it converts it and sends it out over the internet. Uh, that's a little digital access point, something. Anyway, but I'm starting to ramble. The whole point is RLP does have aspects of it that aren't right, and it takes time for people to see it. One of the biggest proponents of uh, Echolink when I first got back on the air, and he was a brand-new ham, is now adamantly against it. However, it has its place. All this stuff is experimentation. We're in part of that uh, uh, ever-changing aspect amateur radio, and we've been trying to bring computers into the shack for almost 20 years now, and we're finding ways to do it. And Echo Link is part of that. I prefer to use RLP repeaters whenever I can and on-air D-Star whenever I can. But we'll just have to see how it pans out now that I've rambled for 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't think he went that far, but it's probably time to move on to feedback so we can end this show sometime this century. Yeah, it's like I said, it's like I said before we got back started again, it's starting to turn into a recording uh, session of the cranks. It's it just kind of that way. It's too bad we don't have some of them in here. Well, we okay. probably could. I don't know if we want to, uh, if we want to broach that situation or not. Probably not. Oh, well, I miss my cranks. All right, so uh, with that, we, we've done that. We're going to put the other subject off for a while, and let's go ahead and jump into feedback. All right, let's see. Uh, first thing on the list, we got some uh, got a feedback email from Scott, uh, AD7MI. We kind of raked him over the coals the last time, and I hope he's not yelling, but let's see what he has to say. Scott writes, congrats on number 50. Thank you for recognizing my blog entry concerning my Ubuntu installation, as well as my request for both of your descriptions of the Linux in the Hamshack dream setup, which we never actually got around to telling him because we walked all the way around it. Uh, this was my first time listening to live podcast, at least up to the point where I had to go back to work. I really enjoyed it. Your podcast has kept me motivated to keep plugging away with Linux, and I am really happy I stuck with it. 
A note on the CQR log 32-bit versus 64-bit issue, CQR log will only use the 32-bit version of Hamlet. You can install CQR log on a 64-bit machine and then install the 32-bit library, and it will work. However, FL Digi will not work because it is it is looking for the 64-bit library, not the 32. With my experience on a 64-bit install of Ubuntu, you can either have FL Digi working or CQR log, but not both. This is not an issue if you install the 32-bit version of Ubuntu, as they are both using the same library. This issue is also reported on the Linux Ham Yahoo group, as well as CQR Log's own forum page. Well, then they ought to have it whooped out pretty quick. My Linux Nirvana continues with the successful installation of Zaster. My next step is integrating my weather station with Zaster. I also just ordered a MicroHam 3, which I think I will enjoy more than my West Mountain Radio Rig Blaster PNP. Russ, wake up, this part's for you. I, w- I, I was one of the millions of folks that stopped by the booth at Dayton this past May. I was really glad to see you guys there. Must be talking about you and Cheryl. Or possibly you and Ted. No, not Ted, the other guy. Yeah, that one. Uh, looking forward to what you guys have to say next episode concerning Echolink. It is probably also worth mentioning IRLP, which is completely based on Linux software. Yeah, I forgot about that. 73 Scott HL2 stroke AD7MI. So there's lots of good stuff there. And yes, we need to keep an eye on that CQR mess. You got anything to say about that one, Russ? Well, I don't know how much further we should talk about AD7MI because he's sort of been in our thoughts and in our conversations a lot over the last couple episodes. But I uh, to be mad. Well, we don't want him to be mad. That's true. And we should point out that he does uh, bring up the interesting and uh, useful point about the differences between the 32-bit and the 64-bit installs of the ham libraries. Seems to me that if this has come up on the Linux Ham Yahoo group as well as the CQR log forum page, that a solution to the 64-bit version of CQR log ought to be in the works here pretty quick. He also talks about buying the MicroHam 3 USB uh, rig connector, which I mentioned in the last episode, and I'm pretty sure he didn't buy that because I mentioned it, but I'll just kind of assume he did and uh, take credit for it. But either way, I'm glad he checked that out, and it is a great device. So we hope he has good success with it. Uh, thanks for stopping by our booth back in Dayton. Uh, we appreciate everybody who stopped by there. We had a, a good time in Dayton, and uh, we had a lot of fun talking to all the people who were there. So if we didn't get to uh, introduce ourselves to you specifically, Hopefully, we'll be able to do that at Dayton next year, uh, which I assume we'll be at. So, and that's what, I, and that's the thing. We got to keep Scott happy because sooner or later we're going to drag his butt in here for an interview. <laughs> and um, since he brought up IRLP, that is a good point. It might not hurt for us at some point to track down somebody that can talk intelligently about IRLP and Linux and uh, drag their butts in here. In fact, uh, something else that. Uh, 
I neglected, I guess I neglected to mention at some point is that, uh, the D-Star Gateway software is actually a Linux-based program also. They run the D-Star Gateways on, uh, on CentOS 5 now. No, they were running it on 4. They may have moved to 5. But the, uh, the, uh, D-Star stuff all runs on Linux also. So we'll, we'll, we'll keep that up. And Scott, thank you for the feedback. Yes, Scott. Thanks very much for the feedback, and thanks again for the donation from from uh, last episode. We really appreciate it. Okay, so the next one we got is from Matt KC8BEW, who hasn't shown up in the chat room in a long time, and we're upset about this, Matt, because you're not coming to see us. Um, where was I? Oh yes, all hate mail. Send it to KA9WKA at LinuxJournal dot com. Okay, uh, Matt asked, what is a good and easy distro for a web server? Oh, Russ is the man to ask about that. Russ, what is a good and easy distro for a web server? Well, to tell you the truth, I already talked to Matt a little about this in the IRC chat channel, which is hash LHS podcast over at Freenode for those who haven't been in there. And for those who haven't been in there, you should be in there because we'd all like to see you. But anyway, what I told him is there are a few distributions that are sort of appliance-based, which just put up a web server and a couple other services that make things easier for people. But what I recommended to him was just to put in a plain version of the Debian server, you know, just a Debian squeeze install, for example, plain vanilla without any of the other software installed, including the X Windows environment. You just leave that off as well. And then either install a base version of Apache or use NGINX. And uh, either one of those will provide you with an easy, simple web environment. And uh, what's interesting about NGINX is that it's kind of like Apache. It's configured very much the way Apache is configured, but it's a much lighter weight web server than Apache is. Apache is kind of big and bloated and... If you're just going to be serving some simple files or some pictures or, you know, something small like that, you can use NGINX, which is a simple app-get install NGINX away on a Debian install, and that will provide you with a quick, small, fast, and lightweight web server environment using a vanilla Debian install which will be very small on your machine, which will be very memory and disk efficient, and which will provide you with a high-speed and uh, very efficient web server environment. So that's what I would recommend is installing a plain vanilla Debian install and use NGINX for your uh, web file serving. Well, there you go. And uh, Jagged in the chat room uh, asked about ClearOS. Do you know anything about ClearOS, Russ? Uh, I do not. Okay, well, we'll have to go ahead and check into that. But uh, Jagged in the chat room says, uh, Clear OS is easy easy to configure, but within uh, the distro isn't very extensible. Uh, he's used it himself. He says it's pretty easy to use. But this is one of those situations where Russ and I for sure agree. Uh, what a lot of you may not know is when we first started the other show, I set up a server here because I really didn't think there were going to be that much less, many listeners. I figured there'd be a handful of listeners for the other show. So, uh, 
since I had not been using Linux that long, I went ahead and uh, installed a copy of a copy of Debian and went ahead and uh, installed GNOME over the top of it because, like I said, I wasn't very familiar with Linux at the time and installed Apache and went in there and did a few things. There was plenty of documentation out on the web. Debian being around so long, there's all kinds of documentation on how to do servers. And actually served the uh, actual audio files out over the Internet. I'm glad my provider didn't catch me from a machine here in the radio room. Uh, I would uh, have a link off of the free blog I was using at the time, and it worked just fine. So Russ and I agree, uh, Debian, top-notch. They're, they're all of them that are uh, set up for the purposes of servers, all of them that you can get a copy of Apache for are all going to run pretty much the same. Take what you're comfortable with. If you're using a Debian-based uh, distro for your desktop, stick with Debian. If you're use something that, using something that's Red Hat-based, use something off of that line. That's the great thing. They all work, and they all work well for the most part. So I think we can say we agree on that one, Russ. I think so. And uh, we got one more to do here, and I'll go ahead and hit that one. Okay. We got another feedback, and Russ is going to do it. Everybody listen close and rapt attention. Okay. Now that everybody's focused in, this one is an email we got from Dave, M0DCM, Mike Zero, Delta Charlie Mike. And this says, hey, guys, I've just listened to episode 50, and congratulations on getting to this milestone. In addition to what the ideal ham shack is, in Linux, I run FLDigi with a homebrew cat slash sound interface, and this runs in conjunction with CQR log, which works a treat. Once I've finished a QSO in FLDigi, I have it set up so CQR log grabs the log entry from FLDigi and enters it straight into my log. I've never been a lover of HRD, even when I used <laughs> Windows. I used to run Logger32. I don't use Wine, as I don't see the point in running any Windows applications under Linux, when this great OS has all the applications I need to do it better. I run all this on an Acer Aspire 1 AO751H netbook running Ubuntu 9.10, as the Intel graphics chip isn't well supported in any other distro. And it looks like I'll be still running 9.10 after Canonical has pulled support in April 2011. But I do use Ubuntu 10.04 LTS on both my server and desktop PCs, which the latter also works a treat with all of the ham software. Keep up the great podcast, and here's to the next 50. That's Dave, Mike Zero, Delta Charlie Mike, in Dudley, West Midlands, United Kingdom. Uh, it's great to see that you are having success as a pure Linux user in your ham shack with CQR log and FLDigi and even eschewing Windows even under Wine. He won't even run a Windows application under Wine. So that's a real purist in action. And you know what? Uh, contrary to K3NG's assessment of Linux in the ham shack, Dave, M0DCM, is able to do all of the things that he enjoys as an amateur radio operator with pure Linux applications, and he doesn't have to use Windows even in an emulation environment. So 
Thanks so much, Dave, for that bit of feedback, and we're glad to hear that everything's going so well for you. So what do you have to say about that, Richard? Well, let me tell you, I'm happy to hear it. You know, uh, this is the direction I'm moving as far as uh, this laptop, if I ever get back on that project. Uh, but having CQR log, FL Digi, having everything set up, mostly because I can, uh, in that case, I'll be able to take it and go and set up just about anywhere with it. And uh, let me tell you, it's good to hear from the guys that are accomplishing everything. This right here makes one of the points that I was uh, trying to get across earlier, which is we are talking about, when we talk about stuff on this show, we're talking about the average, everyday amateur radio operator. We're not talking about the super specialized guys like contesters and DXers and stuff like that. But we're talking about the uh, everyday amateur radio operator. And, and, yeah, it's good to hear from Dave again. Dave has really been helping us out with uh, a lot of good ideas and information, stuff like that. And, Dave, keep up the good work. And thank you so much for the uh, congratulations on the 50, which I infer by your mention of here's to the next 50. So thank you, Dave. Thank you much. So we got anything else before we go, Russ? Well, just one more thing, and that's a very generous donation we got from uh, Garrett or Jarrett. I'm not sure how to pronounce that, but either one. Um, we want to very much thank Jarrett or Garrett for his very generous donation to Linux and the Ham Shack. And uh, those funds that you provided us will go directly into making Linux and the Ham Shack better and keeping us on the air long into the future. So thanks very much. Thanks again for being a listener and uh, for your generous donation. All right. And, yes, Garrett, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That's what we were talking about up at the top of the program. You know, every every penny y'all send in helps us uh, keep, keep the show going and improve the show. And I'll tell you right now, uh, the producer – he, he, he likes to see that money roll, rolling in because he knows he can, he can buy new goodies up for the, the editor and the, uh, uh, production staff and, and keep us going. So, uh, y'all keep those, keep those things rolling in. So, uh, what else have we got, Russ? Anything at all? Um, that's the end of the ether pad. So unless you've got something that I don't know about, I think we're about done. Okay. Well, yeah, I, I pretty much, uh, there's something that we, I want to try and address in the next couple episodes, uh, or in the next episode or the one after, because everybody seems to be freaking out about it, but we'll get around to that when we get around to it. Yeah. That way we leave y'all with a cliffhanger and you'll have to check us out next time. And see what's going on. All right. Tell them where they can find you. You can send me an email at kb5jbv at gmail dot com kb5jbv at gmail.com or check me out on the social networks uh i see tweets i think tweets i don't get over there much but uh luckily i see a lot of it through the facebook thing so either check me out at twitter check me out at identica check me out at facebook or any of the other usual suspects i will be kb5jbv at those places and uh, with that, I'm going to toss it back over to Russ so he can give all the rest of the information. Okay, I'm going to try to do this quick. So I'm J.R. Woodman on all the popular social media networks out there, uh, Facebook, Identica, BrightKite, 
uh, Twitter, you name it, I'm probably out there. I'm also K5TUX over at 73s.org. You can send us a voicemail, and we highly encourage sending us a voicemail to 417-200-4811. Make sure you choose the appropriate option for Linux in the ham shack. Check out the website, lhspodcast.info. Leave us a comment over there on the website. Also, join the Linux in the ham shack mailing list at lists.bluecows.com stroke mailman stroke list info. Sign up for LHS Podcast and for MagnetCon, the Mid-America GNU Linux Networkers Conference, which will be on May 6th and 7th, 2011. We hope to see everybody there. And uh, send us an email at info at lhspodcast.info. That'll go to Richard and I, and we'll be able to respond to your queries uh, as soon as we can, which will hopefully be soon. Anyway, that's it, I think, for episode number 51. Thanks to everybody who listened live in the chat room, which is over at freenode or irc.freenode.net in the channel pound LHS podcast or hash LHS podcast for those of you outside of the United States. And with that, I guess I'll send it back to Richard. This is Russ, K5TUX, broadcasting from Studio 1N between the peaks in the pine forest of north central Arkansas. And Richard is going to take us all home by saying, This is KB5JBV sitting in the refrigerator, and the next time we will talk about Russia's, Russia's atrocious typing. We'll see you all next time.